welcome to the Expository Word Podcast, where you can hear classic recorded messages from Kimber Kaufman. Throughout these messages, Kimber faithfully follows the text to deliver God's message and to practically apply it to life. We trust you will enjoy listening to these classic recordings. Today, Kimber continues teaching through the Word, and our hope is that you will be challenged and encouraged by listening in. Let's turn now to Kimber. We've begun this February 1st, our study of the book of Titus, and we'll be studying probably about the next eight Sunday mornings here, maybe more. We'll see how it goes. By way of review, I want to show you some of the things that we talked about this morning. The purpose is because of the national character of the Cretans, because of their, the awfulness of how they have lived, Titus was to appoint elders in every town to teach sound doctrine and to silence the critics, particularly by the life of the believer. Let's go to the next. And so what is key about Titus? This, what God expects of you and your church. And I really hope that you will do uh, yourself a favor and to think of your walk with God as much more significant than just you and God. It really is. There's, there, there's a tendency in America to think this, if I'm doing all right, it doesn't matter if the whole church is having problems, I'm all right. And there is a sense in which we have to keep ourselves personally clean before God. But it is very important that you would be involved as part of the body, like one of my fingers or ligaments or elbow or something. It connects with the whole body so the whole body can work. And so it is true for the believer. Let's go on. We can, the basic outline in chapter 1 is Christian ministry. Chapter 2, Christian behavior. And it's going to get into the specific details like you're not used to getting into, t- calling even different age groups in the church to behave in certain ways. And then in chapter 3, Christian salvation. And again, one thing that's different about this is the apostle talks about the doctrine of salvation later in the book, and it's talking about ethical behavior first, which is a little bit of a turnaround. We can go on to the next and see chapter 1 would break down talking about three groups. Today we talk about believers, and then part of today and next week, elders, and then uh, I'm not sure how far we're going to get, but deceivers and false teachers. These are three groups mentioned about Christian ministry that make up the church. And again, I, I think it's very important to see how, in, how, how crucial it is that you would see that there would be elders and that there would be a local church. That this, thing, this book cries out for the importance of the local church. Well, the, the believers, we talk about three things that the church is supposed to do for believers that go there. And this book is written for the faith of God's elect. Go to the next one. For the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness and in the hope of eternal life. Now, I, I think I crammed that one down your throats pretty vigorously this morning, and I hope that you can remember, this is what's supposed to happen when you go to church. What is the measure of a church? Oh, it's a place where people get saved. Well, no, the church is a place for believers. It's a place of worship. And, and what's supposed to happen is the, the, God's children's faith are to be strengthened, and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness is a place where you gain knowledge that leads to godliness, and it's, a, it's, it's also a place where the hope of eternal life um, is furthered in your life. Do you have anything else by way of review up there? this morning? I'm not sure what else there is, but yeah, we need to ask ourselves these questions. Is our faith deepening? Are we growing in knowledge, especially knowledge that leads to godliness? Are we thinking about and longing for heaven? Is hope a part of the assembly? Now, that's a big thing. Now, with that, let's make some remarks particularly about verse 4. Remember verse 3, how this is to come about is through preaching, through the kerygma, through the proclamation of the truth. But notice what he says in verse 4. To Titus my true son in our common faith. Let's just finish this up. Grace, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, you don't get to who this book is addressed to until the fourth verse. Paul's already identified himself as the writer in verse 1. Titus, the letter is to him, and he calls him my true son. This would be the equivalent of saying something like this. I have begotten you, and you are very dear to me. And so it's very likely that Paul would lead Titus to the Lord. 
And he says, you're a true son. You're a genuine believer. The obvious marks of regeneration, the, the life of discipleship has been proved in Titus's life by his faithfulness over the years. You're a genuine son. Obviously, Paul had some that, that seemed to be uh, genuine, and then as the time went by, they proved that they were not genuine. And notice he says, in our common faith. This is a great way of describing the gospel message that we believe, what John 3.16, that we believe the gospel, that by faith in Jesus we're saved. And then he makes this little comment. Grace and peace flow from the Father and the Son to you. Now, it is interesting, isn't it? Because the way you study the Trinity in the Scriptures is so amazing. Here's a little place where we see two of the Godhead mentioned. And notice the, who's mentioned. God the Father and Christ Jesus. And please notice they're both called Savior here. Do you see that? They're both called Savior. Savior, by the way, is going to be one of the favorite terms in the book of Titus. Six times it's found in this book. And it's going to be a significant term that we'll develop as we study. But please notice, it's God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And the way it's written in the Greek, both refer to them as being Savior. God the Father and Christ Jesus. Now he says to them, grace. And that, of course, is God's unmerited love and favor in operation in the heart of a child. The unmerited kindness of God, may that be yours, and peace. This is the child's consciousness of having been reconciled with God through Christ. Grace is the fountain, peace is the stream which issues from the fountain. And so you see, uh, this is this warm Christian greeting where everything about it is, is, is essential for what uh, Titus needs. It's amazing, by the way, because with Timothy, who was timid and was really struggling with fear, he adds mercy. But he doesn't add that with Titus, so he might have had a little bit more confidence in Titus than he did in Timothy. All right? Now, Back to this point, back to our, our, our original three things. I, I skipped five or six pages, and what I did in my sermon was to explain uh, that the church is in existence for the developing of your faith, so that, that knowledge that would lead to eternal life, and that you would have hope, uh, not knowledge that would lead to godliness, and hope. Now, I, I, I went back through that, and I want to just review it quickly. What is, what is the purpose of the church? Why do we worship? Why do we read scripture? Why do we have testimonies? Why do we pray together? Why is there preaching and teaching? Why is there to be godly leadership? Why is there to be the older women teaching the younger women? Why are all of these things to happen? And one of them is to develop our faith. We mentioned that without faith, it's impossible to please God. That is a very, very important statement for you to remember. But this faith is something that is absolutely crucial in the life of a believer. Listen to what Paul prays in the book of Ephesians. Don't turn there, but just let me read it to you. He says to the Ephesians, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may power to grasp together with all the saints the width and the depth and the length and the strength and all that of, of, of the love of Christ. You see, we are here in existence, the church is in existence so that hole in the heart that Jim talked about earlier would be filled at least once a week. You would come and through the singing, through the worship, through the preaching, through the fellowship, through all the things that take place in a church, and not just on Sunday, but at least once a week as the saints would gather, there would be this invigoration of your faith. Remember what Jesus said? When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And one thing that this is supposed to be is a faith center where you are built up and strengthened, your mind is renewed and you're encouraged, and you leave here with your heart full of faith, believing the promises of God, life is clear as you've heard the text unfold. Now, Paul goes on to say in 2 Thessalonians, we thank God because your faith is growing more and more. Stuart Briscoe makes this comment, remember that you start as a person of faith by being justified by faith, and then you go from there. You live by faith as a Christian. 
If you don't do that, you cannot please God. Dr. Carl Henry made a powerful statement. A a disconcerting wide segment of American society succumbs to the premise that life has not come from God, does not move towards God, and cannot be enriched by God. That's basically the philosophy of our society. God is utterly irrelevant. But for the believer who lives by faith, he says this, I have come from God, I'm going to God, I am answerable to God. I think it was Webster that said, the greatest thought I ever had is that of my personal responsibility and accountability to God. And you believe by faith that every single day, listen, God can intervene in your affairs by His Spirit, through His Word, and in the fellowship of believers that enriches your life. Now, if that's being the case, if the world's going this way, God's not involved, and the believer's going this way, there ought to be a radical difference. And what Paul is saying in this book of Titus is this, that difference ought to be so radical that you're going to live such a different life that you are going to be a good testimony for the gospel. Because where you go, the gospel goes. And where you go, your life marks the gospel. And don't live in such a way so that the gospel will come into disrepute. That's what's going to be said several times now throughout the book of Titus. I can't tell you how important this is. Even some of you are sitting here right now, you're a little bit bored, it's a Sunday night, hey, you've had communion, you're a little tired, you wish you maybe you were home going to bed, you got a big week work tomorrow, or a work week coming up starting tomorrow, you got all kinds of things going on, and you may not realize how absolutely central, how absolutely important it is that your faith would be strengthened as you come to church. It is crucial that that's what would happen, and that would be a good church would do that for you. Now please remember something, faith is not just an agreement to a set of gospel facts. It includes that, but it is persuasion, commitment, inner testimony, conviction. Throughout the Bible, the greatest of saints have had times of great wavering of faith. It was Abraham that wavered, and then it did not waver at the promise of God. But we want the kind of faith to develop that comes through prayer and fellowship and preaching and teaching and all of the things that we've talked about already that rejoices in trials. That's real faith. The kind of faith that says, I am so thankful for this trial because this trial is making me trust God more, pray pray more, and be more dependent on Him. I'm really thankful for that. Or how about this, that believes God's promises in the dark. It doesn't stagger at the promise of God. Or faith that gives courage in the hardest of times. Or faith that overcomes the fiery darts of the hater of God's children, the wicked devil, who is trying to destroy our lives. And don't forget, there are fiery darts being fired at you to quench your faith. And he'll wait just when your heart has run out, all the oil has run out, and he'll, he'll fill your heart with doubts or some kind of attack. And faith that believes you can lay up treasures in heaven by the way you behave on earth. You see, friends, remember, we talked about this morning, there are different degrees of faith. And I want to remind you, it's true. He says, oh, your faith is so weak. Have you not any faith? Where? He looks at the disciples and goes, where were you when I fed the 5,000? Were you not there? Hello? That's what he says. Weren't you there? Don't you believe me? You see, friend, the Bible talks even in the book of Romans, there are strong in the faith and weak in the faith. And it is the strong in the faith that give glory to God and they do great things for God. You know why? Because their, 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 their knowledge has led them to godliness and they have a greater view of God and they believe and trust Him in all circumstances. A Christian with a strong faith attends to the interest of others. A Christian with a weak faith does not attend to the weakness of others. A person with a strong faith can wait on God. A person with a weak faith can't do that. It's got to have their way. Panic. A strong faith sees his goal is to help the weak. The weak is constantly judging the strong. I just think it's great. I, I never forget the time I went to Chicago and the first time I walked into the Moody Church. Have you ever been to see the Moody Church? It seats 4,200 people. I remember walking in there, the first thing that struck me, this was several years ago, the first thing that struck me is the faith of D.L. Moody just came alive. Now, the building was built after Moody. But still, there, 
the, 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 the faith. And then I went to the corner where you're standing there, and there's, a, I think, a 16 or 22-story building. I can't remember how big it is. And right on the cornerstone, it says, on this spot in 1864, D.L. Moody fell on his knees and claimed this ground for Jesus Christ. And there you're standing there in 1998, and there's a 20-story building there filled with people studying to go all over the world to present the gospel to people and to teach people. You see, that's the kind of faith that we want. And the church has got to be helping us increase and develop our faith. And if we get away from that, we're getting away from something that is, is major. Now, I know you said, Kim, didn't we already hear this sermon this morning? No, this is different material. Believe it, it's right here in my notes. I can show it to you, prove it to you if you want. Uh, but let's just consider the second thing. It, this, the church should be increasing knowledge that leads to godliness. Now, remember, there is, a, there is a knowledge that leads to arrogance. There's a knowledge that makes you look down on others. But truth that humbles the soul with delight. And this knowledge is something that is, it is really crucial. Let me read you again. Listen, this is another prayer of Paul's. He says in Ephesians chapter 1, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped praying, giving thanks, to, thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking, now listen, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. Do you hear that? Here's the prayer of the apostle. What is it that Paul prayed for? People's ingrown toenails and things? No. The thing he's praying for is this, that you might have a spirit of revelation and wisdom that you might know God better. This is the concern that he has. Over and over, it's true. In fact, listen to this. We flip over to the book of um, uh, Philippians. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says this, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. And of course, he says something very similar in the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Listen again. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. You see, the constant concern of the apostle towards the churches that he planted is that there would be a growth in knowledge, the kind of knowledge that would lead to godliness. Knowledge that comes from God's revelation, knowledge of the truth. Remember, if we go on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there is no sacrifice for sins. I want to remind you of something. In 1 Corinthians, listen, chapter 8, verse 1, he says this, knowledge puffeth up. And then he goes on to tell this story about Christian liberty and about people that are offended because of food offered to idols. And then Paul says this, you know what? There's no such thing as an idol. There's only one God. I know this. Anybody that can really clearly think knows that there's only one God, so you shouldn't be offended by food offered to idols. But then he says this, not everyone knows this. So you see, there's a knowledge that puffs up, then there's also knowledge that leads to weak faith. And one of the burdens of the apostle is that Christians would have knowledge that would grow so your conscience would be captive to the Scriptures and not captive to standards outside of the Scriptures, regardless of how spiritual they may seem. And so it's a knowledge which is crucial. And again, you sit here tonight, you look sort of like a tired group. I'm not sure if you are, but you look sort of like a tired group. And you sit there and you think, well, you know, pastor's just going to go through the thing. We sort of already heard this. But you need knowledge. And the church is to be giving that. And that is one of the reasons, by the way, friends, it, 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 is, it is a staggering thing, but I want to thank you. Because you're a congregation that has allowed me to spend about two and a half to three days a week studying. That's all I do for about two and a half to three days a week is studying. We have other pastors that do the same. And can I tell you how important it is? Because I'll tell you, you just don't whip together a sermon, get a cute little outline and throw things together. The scriptures have got to be studied carefully. And there has to be somebody out there in the church doing this because this is God's plan. I showed you from verse 3 how important preaching is. Isn't that right? And so this is a crucial part. And I talk with pastors all the time. They go, what do you do? A pastor just asked me, as a pastor's arrived at retreat, the guy just said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I told him what I did, and Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday I study. He looked at me like, you kidding me? You know? 
And I, I, I get the feeling that they think that you come here, it's sort of like I've got professor glasses on and, and we're all sitting there, you know, and it's just like, and now according to the Sam Therian view of, you know, you know, and just making a bunch of stuff up that means nothing, all right? Hope that's not it, okay? Stuart Briscoe makes this comment. One of the things that concerns me about the contemporary church in North America is that we are more experience-oriented than theology-oriented. For instance, if you look at the books people buy, you will find that a high percentage are experience-oriented books. How I can feel better, how I can look better, how I can sort my marriage out, how I can sort my kids out, how am I going to feel better or look better or do better. Then, he asks, and how many people buy books of theology? On the person of God, the person of Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit, the theology of man, the theology of last times, the theology of the church, you will discover that a wide majority of people in Christian community don't study at all. And a wide selection of those who do study are committed exclusively to experience-oriented study. It was the prophet Hosea that said this, my people are destroyed because they lack knowledge of me. Do you understand that one of the reasons that you don't make it through trials is because we don't have a knowledge of God that can give us strength? I love, I love hearing the testimonies like they gave their testimony recently. And you know what you see? 106 years of marriage, going through all kinds of different problems. And I sat there, I was in there, Lord, I want to be like that when I'm their age in just a couple years. I want to be there, all right? You know why? Because here's what they've said. They, they've come to know the Lord and they've walked with Him for years. Okay? And we don't always just have young bucks up here spouting off the way it's supposed to be. All right? That's good. Knowledge that leads to godliness. Not just knowledge about facts. And here's what I mean by that. Can I tell you, I know of men that can absolutely take apart Romans, the first nine chapters. They can take it apart, the first, the first 11 chapters. They can take all that doctrine and they can explain it all and they can do it much better than me. But when it comes to Romans chapter 12, they can't follow it. When it comes to relationships or when it comes to practical godliness or when it comes to those things, they can't do it. And something that's a heartbreak is this, the knowledge of the truth that we understand that Romans is laid out so that we can behave in godliness. And something that is of utmost importance is that we would understand, friends, is that we would be the kind of people that would not just delight because we know more than somebody else, but we would have that truth engrafted into our hearts and it would lead to godliness, a God-centeredness, a God-like life. But I'll tell you this is important. Arthur Pink makes this comment. Unregenerate Bible students, motivated by pride of intellect and reputation, they are ashamed to be regarded as ignoramuses and want to have a good standing in religious circles they hold the truth, they hold it, but it does not grip, influence, and transform them. If the person, excuse me, if they ponder the truth and it is not, they ponder the truth and it is not with delight. If they take pleasure in it, it is only because they strive for information that increases their knowledge and they're better equipped in their debates. Their design is to inform their understanding, not to quicken their affection to God. And may it be, May it be that the knowledge of the truth from a little kids up. I, I remember my, my, the Greek professor, uh, Dr. Lawler, telling me that uh, I just saw my niece, niece and nephew that used to attend this church. They moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and they were back with their little two-month-old baby today. And they were telling me how they, they quote the scripture, Psalm 1, and they, they read Pilgrim's Progress to this little baby that was two months old. And um, I think that's great. One of, the things I, one of the things that Dr. Lawler said was that because of what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, which says this, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation. And the word child there is brephos. It's a babe that you bear in the arms. It's a little baby that you have to carry around. And he says, based on that verse, he would take his Greek New Testament while his son was just babying and just hold it before him, like this. 
and then he would read to him out of the Greek New Testament. Now, and you have to know Dr. Lawler. He goes, I know, I know. He didn't understand it. That's what he said. He said, but he, he saw that there was something about this book important to his dad from the time he could just first begin to understand anything. And then, of course, the hope of eternal life. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. You see, when Christ is who as our life shall appear, then shall we also appear with Him in glory. i got to tell you that this is, if I had to evaluate my life, this would be with the weakest spot the, of these three points. I mean, that is not an ardent longing for heaven. Not like the Apostle Paul who said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our citizenship is in heaven. Listen to what else Paul prays. Consider this. See, just to, just to show you that these three themes that we're talking about, they are interwoven all through the Scriptures. Listen to this. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Hmm. Now, I've got... Now, I'm just now at the place where we're supposed to be to start tonight's sermon, all right? And that is to start on, on Acts, Titus 1.5. But really, you know what I think we're going to do? I'm just going to switch things here a little bit. Give you guys a little bit of a break. But, but to tell you this, uh, you get ready to give some testimonies. Let's hear some, man shall not live by bread alone. We sang that. I want to hear some testimonies. Get some microphones out, guys, so we can pass them around and people can give testimonies. But I want to tell you something. Let's do this. Let's practice these three things. Let's give some testimonies to the Lord. And, and one five through nine fits together for next week, and they'll be a little bit ahead of my studies and go goof around a little bit this week. I'm just kidding. I'm not planning on that. All right. But I would like you to do this. I would like for people to stand up and say, here's some scripture I've been living on. I'd like you to say, here's some hope of eternal life that I have. Here's some knowledge that I've gained that is hopefully leading to godliness. Here is some faith that, I've, that God has given me that I'd like to pass on to you. And let's have some time. It's 10 minutes till. We usually don't end until about 7.15, but we can go 15, 20 minutes or so and just have some good time for testimonies. And so we'll get some microphones. Let's, let's get one over here and one over on this side. Here, uh, someone, someone take this. Jamie, come over here. Or yeah, Brian, that's okay. Either one of you. Take this and be looking for people to give their testimonies. And I'll just have to work you out of your slumber, wake you up in your slumber for just a second and say, hey, let's, let's do this. Let, let, let's, uh, who can quote some of the one another's? Can anybody quote some one another's? How about this? Provoke one another to love and good works. Okay? You ever been provoked into a fight? Hey, man, come on. You want to fight, man? You know, you can do that. Let's do that with each other tonight. All right? Hey, man, come on. You want to live for faith? Come on. So let's do it. All right? So let's be bold and happy as we do it. All right? Who wants to go first? Tell us about some faith, some knowledge, or some hope that you have. Yes. And that concludes today's expository word. Please join us again for more classic recorded messages from Kimber Kaufman. Take care.